Chapter 83 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 83. To the joy which Consuelo experienced on once more pressing in her arms her master and benefactor, succeeded a painful feeling which he had some difficulty in concealing. A year had scarcely elapsed since she left Borbara, and yet that year of uncertainty, vexation, and sorrow had imprinted on the gloomy brow of the maestro deep traces of suffering and old age. He had acquired that unhealthy embonpoint, which inaction and languor of mind produce on a failing frame. His look had lost the fire which formerly animated it, and a certain bloated coloring of his features betrayed the fatal attempt to seek in wine the forgetfulness of his misfortunes, or the renewal of his inspiration, chilled by age and discouragement. The unfortunate composer had flattered himself that he should find at Vienna fresh chances of success and fortune, but he was received there with cold esteem, and he found his happy arrivals in possession of the imperial favor and the admiration of the public. But Astacio had written dramas and oratorios for Caldara, for Prideri, for Fuchs, for Reuter, and for Haas. Metastasio, the court poet, Poeto Cesario, the fashionable author, the new Albano, the favorite of the muses and the ladies, the charming, the incomparable, the harmonious, the flowing, the divine Metastasio. In a word, he, of all the dramatic cooks, whose dishes had the most agreeable flavor and easiest digestion, had not written anything for Porpora, and had refused to promise him anything. The maestro had still ideas, perhaps. He had at least his science, his admirable knowledge of the voice, his sound Neapolitan traditions, his severe taste, his broad style, and his bold and masculine recitatives, the grandeur and beauty of which had never been equaled. But he had no public, and he asked in vain for a poem. He was neither a flatterer nor an intriguer. His rough frankness created him enemies, and his ill humor repulsed everybody. He displayed this feeling even in the warm and affectionate welcome which he gave Consuelo. And wherefore did you leave Bohemia so soon, said he, after having embraced her with paternal emotion? What are you going to do here, unhappy girl? There are no ears to listen, no hearts to comprehend you. This is no place for you, my child. Your old master has fallen into disgrace, and if you wish to succeed, you would do well to follow the example of those who feign to despise or not to know him, while they owe to him their skill, their fortune, and their glory. What, do you suspect me too, said Consuelo, whose eyes filled with tears? Would you deny my affection and devotion, and visit upon me the suspicion and contempt with which others have inspired you? Oh, my dear master, you will find that I do not deserve this cruel reproach. It is all I can say. 
Corporal knit his brow, turned away, and walked up and down the apartment. Then returning to Consuelo, and seeing that she wept, but not finding anything mild or gentle to say to her, he took the handkerchief from her hands, and drying her eyes somewhat roughly said, Come, come now. Consuelo observed that he was pale, and that deep sighs burst from his ample chest. But he suppressed his emotion, and drawing his chair beside her. Come, said he, tell me about your sojourn in Bohemia, and wherefore you have returned so quickly. Speak, he added, somewhat impatiently. Have you not a thousand things to say to me? Were you weary there? Or did the Rudelstadts not act well by you? Yes, they also are capable of having wounded and tormented you. God knows they were the only people in the world whom I still trusted. God also knows that all men are capable of every wickedness. Do not say so, my friend, said Consuelo. The Rudelstadts are angels, and I ought never to speak of them but on my knees. But I thought it right to leave them and to fly without even giving them warning or bidding them adieu. What does all this mean? Have you aught to reproach yourself with? Must I blush for you and reproach myself for having sent you to these excellent people? Ah, no, heaven be praised, my dear master. I have no reason to blame myself, nor you to blush for me. In that case, what is it? Consuelo, who knew how necessary it was to give brief and prompt replies to Porpora when he was anxious to learn a fact or an idea, informed him in a few words that Count Albert had wished to marry her, but that she could not give him a decided answer before consulting her adoptive father. Porpora made an angry and sarcastic grimace. Count Albert, he exclaimed, the heir of the Rudelstadts, the descendant of the kings of Bohemia, the future lord of Riesenberg? He wants to marry you, you little gypsy. You, the ugly pupil of the Skuala, the friendless orphan, the penniless actress. You who, barefoot, have begged your bread in the thoroughfares of Venice? Yes, even me, your pupil, your adopted daughter. Yes, me, the poor Barina, replied Consuelo with gentle pride. An honorable distinction and most brilliant condition, said the maestro, bitterly. Yes, I had forgotten those in the catalog, the last and only pupil of a master without a school, the heiress of his rags and of his shame, the preserver of a name already blotted out from the memory of men. Yes, this is indeed something to be proud of, something to fascinate and bewilder the scions of the most illustrious families. Apparently, my dear master, said Consuelo, with a melancholy and caressing smile, we have not fallen so low in the estimation of the world as it pleases you to imagine, since it is certain that the Count wished to marry me, and that I came here to ask your consent to the marriage, or your assistance and advice to enable me to avoid it. Consuelo, replied Porpora, in a cold and severe tone, I like not such folly. You ought to be aware that I hate the romances of schoolgirls or the adventures of coquettes. I should never have believed you capable of entertaining such absurd ideas, and I am really ashamed to hear you speak of them. 
It is possible that the young Count of Rugelstadt may have taken a fancy to you, and that, wearied by the tedium of solitude, or carried away by his enthusiasm for music, he may have paid you some trifling attention. But how could you be so presumptuous as to take the affair seriously, and give yourself on the strength of it the airs of a heroine of romance? I can feel only pity for such conduct, and still more so, if the old Count, the Canoness, or the Baroness Amelia should be informed of your pretensions, I tell you again that I blush for you. Consuelo knew that it would be of no avail to contradict or interrupt Porpora when he had launched out into one of his splenetic tirades. She therefore allowed him full scope to vent his indignation, and when he had said everything that he could think was most calculated to vex and annoy her, she related to him word for word with the most scrupulous exactness all that had taken place at the castle of the giants between herself, Count Albert, Count Christian, the canoness, Amelia, and Anzaletto. Porpora, who, after having vented all his spleen, knew also how to listen and to understand, lent the most serious attention to her narrative, and when she had finished, put several questions to her respecting details, so as to enter completely into the private life and the sentiments of the family. In that case, said he at last, you have acted well, Consuelo. You have been prudent, straightforward, courageous, as I would have expected you to be. It is well heaven has protected you and will recompense you by delivering you once for all from this infamous Anzaletto. As for the young Count, you must not think of him. I positively forbid you. Such a union does not suit you. Never would Count Christian, be assured, permit you to become an artist again. I know better than you the unconquerable pride of the nobles. Unless you absurdly and childishly deceive yourself, you cannot hesitate for an instant between the career of the great and that of art. What think you? Speak, Corvo di Baccio, one would think you did not hear me. I hear you very well, my dear master, but I see that you do not in the least understand what I have said to you. How? Not understand? Then I am no longer capable of understanding anything, I suppose. Is that what you mean? And the little jet-black eyes of the master sparkled with anger. Consuelo, who knew him thoroughly, saw that she must put a bold face on the matter if she wished to be heard at all. Sir, you do not understand me, she replied firmly, for you ascribe to me an ambition very different from that which I entertain. Be assured I do not envy the position of the great, and do not imagine, dear master, that any such considerations weighed with me for a moment. I despise those worldly advantages which are not the result of merit." These are the principles which you have instilled into me, and I shall never belie them. But there is in life something besides vanity and gold, and this something will always suffice to counterbalance the intoxication of glory and joys of public applause. It is the affection of such a man as Albert. It is domestic happiness. It is family joys. The public is a capricious, tyrannical, and ungrateful master. 
but a good husband is a friend, a support, a second self. If ever I love Albert as he loves me, I should think of fame no more, and probably should be much happier. What sort of babble is this? exclaimed the maestro. Are you mad? Or have you merely been initiated into the mysteries of German sentimentalism? Good heavens! How much you have come to despise art of late, my lady countess. You tell me that your Albert, as you permit yourself to call him, inspires you with more fear than love. That you feel ready to expire with cold and terror at his side, and a thousand other things which, no offense to you, I did not pay much attention to, and now, free from his solicitations and completely at liberty, the only happiness, the only condition necessary to the development of the artist, you ask me if you must not again tie the stone about your neck and throw yourself into the well which your visionary lover inhabits. Go, in heaven's name, if it seems good to you. I shall have nothing more to do with you, nothing more to say in the matter. I shall not lose my time talking to a person who does not know what she says, know whom she wants. You have not common sense. I am your obedient, humble servant. Thus saying, Porphyro proceeded to the harpsichord, and with a firm yet cold hand improvised several elaborate modulations, during which Consuelo, despairing of bringing him to examine the matter more closely, reflected on the best means of restoring his equanimity. She accomplished her purpose in singing some ancient national airs which he had learned in Bohemia, and which from their originality and genius delighted the old maestro. She then induced him to show her his recent compositions, and she sang them at sight with such perfection that he instantly regained all his enthusiasm and all his tenderness for her. The unhappy man, having no longer an able pupil beside him, and distrusting all who approached him, had long ceased to enjoy the pleasure of hearing his ideas rendered by a fine voice and understood by a lofty intellect. He was so moved by hearing himself thus rendered by his own docile Porphyrina that he shed tears of joy, and pressing her to his bosom, he exclaimed, Ah, you are the first singer in the world. Your voice has doubled in volume and extent, and you have made as much progress as if I had given you lessons every day for a year. Repeat this theme once more, my daughter. This is the first moment of happiness I have enjoyed for months. They dined together, poorly enough, at a little table near the window. Porpora was badly lodged, his gloomy and neglected chamber looking out upon the angle of a narrow and deserted street. Consuelo, seeing him in a good temper, ventured to speak of Joseph Hayden. The only thing she had concealed from him was the long pedestrian excursion with this youth and the strange occurrences which had created so close an intimacy between them. She knew that her master would, according to custom, rebel at praises given to any aspirant after fame. She therefore related with an air of indifference that she had met on her way to Vienna with a poor little fellow who had spoken with such respect and enthusiasm of the school of Porpora that she had promised to intercede in his behalf with the maestro herself. Well, what is he, this young man? asked the maestro, 
And what is his aim in life? To become an artist, without doubt, since he is a poor devil. Oh, I thank him for his patronage. I mean to teach singing henceforth only to young noblemen. They pay, learn nothing, and are proud of our lessons, because they flatter themselves they know something on leaving our hands. But artists? All mean, all ungrateful, all traitors and liars. Do not speak to me of them. I never wish to see one pass the threshold of this apartment. If one of them should show his face here, look you, I would throw him from the window that very instant. Consuelo endeavored to overcome his prejudices, but she found him so obstinate that she gave up the attempt, and leaning from the window, at a moment when her master had his back turned, she made one sign with her fingers, and afterwards a second, to Joseph, who was prowling about the street awaiting this previously arranged signal, and who understood from the first movement of the fingers that he must renounce all hope of being admitted by Porpora as a pupil, while the second gave him notice not to appear for half an hour. Consuelo talked of something else to make Porpora forget what she had just said, and when the half hour had elapsed, Joseph knocked at the door. Consuelo hastened to open it, pretended not to know him, and returned to announce to the maestro that it was a domestic who wished to enter his service. Let me see your face, cried Porpora to the trembling young man. Approach. Who told you that I wanted a servant? I do not want one. If you had no need of a servant, answered Joseph, a little confused, but keeping a good countenance that Consuelo had recommended, it is very unfortunate for me, sir, for I have great need of a master. One would imagine that nobody but I could give you the means of earning your livelihood, replied Porpora. Here, look at my apartment and my furniture. Do you think I require a lackey to arrange all that? Oh, certainly, sir. You must require one, returned Hayden, affecting a confiding simplicity, for it is in very bad order. Saying so, he went immediately to work and began to arrange the chamber with the diligence and business-like coolness which highly amused Porpora. Joseph staked all upon the hazard, for if his zeal had not diverted the maestro, he ran the risk of being recompensed for his services by a few blows of his cane. "'This is a droll rascal who wishes to serve me in spite of myself,' said Porpora, as he watched his proceedings. "'I tell you, idiot, I have no means of paying a servant. Why will you continue to be so zealous?' "'No matter for that, sir, provided you give me your old clothes and a bit of bread every day. I shall be satisfied. I am so poor that I shall consider myself fortunate not to be obliged to beg my bread.' But why do you not enter some rich person's service? Impossible, sir. They consider me too little and too ugly. Besides, I know nothing of music, and you are aware that all the great lords nowadays wish their domestics to know a little of the violin or the flute in order to take a part in chamber concerts. But, for my part, I have never been able to beat a note of music into my head. Ah, you know nothing of music. Well, you are the very man to suit me. If you are satisfied with your food and my old clothes, I will take you. For, now I think of it, here is my daughter, who will require a faithful lad to run her errands. Let us see. 
What can you do? Brush clothes, black shoes, sweep the house, open and shut the door. Yes, sir, I know how to do all that. Well, begin. Brush that coat which you see lying on my bed yonder, for I am going in an hour to the ambassadors. You will accompany me, Consuelo. I wish to present you to Signor Corner, whom you know already, and who has just arrived from the baths of Ems with the Signora. There is a little apartment below which shall be yours. Go and arrange your dress a little, while I also make some preparations. Consuelo obeyed, crossed the antechamber, and entering the little gloomy cabinet which was to be her apartment, dressed herself in her eternal black gown and her faithful white neckerchief, which had made the journey on Joseph's shoulder. This is not a very magnificent toilette for the ambassadors, thought she, but they saw me make my debut thus at Venice, and it did not prevent my singing well and being listened to with pleasure. When she was ready, she again passed into the antechamber, and there found Hayden gravely curling Porpora's wig, which he had hung upon a stick. On looking at each other, they both stifled a burst of laughter. Ha! How do you manage to arrange that beautiful wig, said she to him, in a low voice, so as not to be heard by Porpora, who was dressing in the next chamber. Bah, replied Joseph, it is easy enough. I have often seen Keller at work. And besides, he gave me a lesson this morning, and will give me more, so that in time I may reach the perfection of the lease and the crepe. Take courage, my poor lad, said Consuelo, clasping his hand. The maestro will at last be disarmed. The paths of art are strewed with thorns, but from among them you may pluck the fairest flowers. Thanks for the metaphor, dear sister Consuelo. Be sure that I shall not be discouraged, and if, in passing me on the stairs or in the kitchen, you will say a word or two of encouragement and friendship to me from time to time, I shall bear all with pleasure. And I will assist you to fulfill your duties, replied Consuelo, smiling. Do you imagine that I also did not commence like you? When I was little, I was often Porpora's servant. I have more than once run his errands, made his chocolate, and ironed his bands. Here now to begin, I will show you how to brush this coat, for you know nothing about it. You break the buttons and spoil the facing. And she took the brush from his hands and set him an example with address and dexterity. But hearing Porpora approach, she hastily handed the brush to him and resumed a grave air as she said, Come, come, my little fellow, make haste. End of chapter 83